All right, 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you found your place, say amen. amen. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a what? A good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, say that word. Likewise, that means we're fixing to change groups now. We're fixing to change groups. Uh, uh, he's moving to a, a different set of people, okay? So first we have the elders. Now we're looking in the bishops. We're, we're going to look at the deacons. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so, the word even so there in verse 11 is the same word in verse 8, likewise, okay? Uh, it's the word hosatos. Both of them are the same word. So here we got likewise again. So what does that mean? We're going to another new group of people he's addressing. And that's, it says, even so must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, and here, here we have the theme of the whole letter. Here we have the theme of the whole letter. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. Say it with me. Behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And without controversy, great, in other words, there's no arguing about this. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And all of God's people say it. Let's pray. And uh, ask the Lord to help us tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your, your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your goodness. Uh, Lord, I, 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 I tried to sit down and, and write you a letter and think of all the things, Lord, that you've done for me, but there just ain't enough paper and ink. Lord, you've been good to me, and I thank you for that. And I thank you for the privilege to be able to stand in front of your people and share your word. And Lord, I pray for your anointing. I desperately need your anointing. I need your touch. I need the Spirit of God to flow through my heart and my mind. I pray that you'll give us what we stand in need of tonight. Lord, I pray that you'll touch everybody here. You know what they need. Lord, you know what they came for. And Lord, I pray they won't leave disappointed. I pray that you'll encourage the discouraged. I pray that you'll challenge those who are needing it. Lord, I pray that you'll lift up the fallen. I pray that you'll just heal the broken. I pray your perfect will be done. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Tell me the title of the lesson tonight. <clears throat> say it again. Let's try to say it loud and together. Now, he said that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, uh, would y'all agree that that implies that he has some expectations for his people, for his church, right? Uh, uh, now, this letter, uh, for those that haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, uh, this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to his protege, his disciple, Timothy, who he has left in Ephesus. Ephesus is struggling. Ephesus is, has, has been infiltrated by false teachers. Uh, there is disorder going on in the church. Uh, uh, things are out of place. And, and he has shown up and he's handled a couple of them already. A couple of the false teachers and dealt with them. 
And he has left Timothy there uh, to straighten things out, to put things back in order that's needing to be put in order. And this is called the pastoral epistles. An epistle is just a letter, all right? Uh, the pastoral epistles, uh, First and Second Timothy and Titus. This is his instruction. This is how things need to be. This is how things need to be run. This is how you need to operate. If that makes sense, say amen. All right, now, let's jump into this. Now, he begins, we, we've seen uh, chapter number one, he's talking, about, he's talking about false doctrine, he's talking about the gospel and how important the gospel is, uh, he's addressing Timothy himself, uh, he talks about his own testimony, uh, and, and last week, we, we learned, actually two weeks ago, uh, we learned that, that the, the responsibility of men to be praying men. Uh, we have a responsibility in the church to pray, pray for our leaders and pray specifically for the salvation of our leaders. And, and so then we talked about the role of women and, and the responsibility they had last week in the house of God. Now this week, we're going to talk about uh, really the church as a whole, the group as a whole. What is in the church? What is in the church? You have a, a group that's made up that's in the church, and, and who do they consist of? And that's, what, that's kind of where we're going to go uh, with this. What does God expect? And so, if you have your notes, let's take it and just start in verse number one. We see great expectations for its leaders. Write that word down. We see the expectation for its leaders. God has leaders for the church. We see the word thus in verse one, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, help me, the office of a bishop. Now let's look at this a minute. Look in your notes in the, in the, underneath number one, the word pastor, elder, and bishop are all interchangeable referring to the same person. So I'm standing before you today as your bishop, as your pastor, as your elder. If, if that makes sense, say amen. The three words represent the functions of the one person. In other words, in other words, I am a father, I am a husband, and I am a brother. But I'm the same person, but those represent different functions that I have. Does that, does that kind of make sense? All right. They are representing the same office. You'll see the same uh, responsibilities. You'll see the same uh, qualifications that they all go together. So I want you to understand that he's talking about the leaders of the church, those who lead and feed. And we'll, we'll, let's, let's talk about them just a minute. All right. Uh, these people, this, this group, the bishop means overseer, overseer. The elders had the responsibility of overseeing the work of the church. You see that in Acts 20, uh, 1 Peter 5. The word elder is a translation of the Greek word presbytos, which means an old man. Elders and bishops were two names for the same office. We see that in Titus 1, 5, and 7. These were mature people with spiritual wisdom and experience. Finally, pastor means what? Shepherd, shepherd. One who leads and cares for the flock of God. So, so what, is the, what is the primary responsibility of this person? To lead and feed. Say that with me. To lead Say it again. So, to, lead to lead and feed. Uh, it, we're going to look, we're going to look in these lists of qualifications, in these lists, everything that you see is going to have to do with moral character. All right, moral character, except one, except one. And that one is he's got to be apt to teach. You cannot be an elder if you cannot teach. The most important function that I have, I know, I know some of y'all think it may be uh, to visit or to soul win or to, the most important function I have as your leader is to disseminate the word of God, break down the word of God. Do you help you understand the truth of God's word to feed the flock of God? That's the most important thing. Why do you think Peter got so upset and the, and the apostles got so upset when they were coming to them and saying, Hey, Hey, listen, we need y'all need y'all, y'all missing some people. Y'all, y'all ain't feeding everybody. Right. You remember in the book of Acts and they say, we cannot leave the prayer and the ministry of the word to serve tables. Now, were they saying they were too good to do a menial task or, or something that was beneath them? No, that's not what they were saying. Because we know Paul picked up sticks, right? 
He picked up sticks. He wasn't, he was a, a, a tent maker. And, and so this was not, they weren't saying this is below us. They were saying this is a priority. This is the most important thing that I can do. Are y'all with me? There is a lot of things. There's a lot of things that go on on a Sunday, a lot of work, a lot of service, a lot of labor. But the most important thing I can do because of my job, my responsibility, my calling, the placement that God has put me here is to take that book and make it where you can understand it, give it to you and, 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 and feed the sheep. If that makes sense, say amen. And, and, and I need you to understand that because as we go through, you'll find out why what everybody else does is so important too. Okay? That makes sense. Amen. He's got to be apt to teach. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to go through these. I want to go through these and, and, and we'll talk about them. not going to uh, uh, spend a great deal of time because I want to try to finish the whole chapter tonight if possible. Dustin don't think we're going to do it, but we're going to prove him wrong. Say amen. All right. Uh, verse number two, uh, uh, well, let's go back to verse one. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work, work. All right. Write this down. There's expectations when it comes to the pastor's drive, a, the pastor's drive. He cannot be a lazy man. It is work. There is great expectations, responsibilities that go with that. Um, this is one of the, I, I, I don't, I don't want to get and start venting because then I'm going to get in a, in a bad spirit and I don't want to do that. But I get so frustrated with people who are supposed to be the leaders, the bishops, the elders, the responsible ones, the mature ones, uh, that are supposed to be leading the flocks across America and they will call us and they want what we have and they want to see what God is doing in this place, in their place. And, and we will go and spend hours and hours. I'm talking about flying there and staying overnight and spending time with, with several, several different pastors and, and work real hard to help them put an organization together and plans and, 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 and put ministries together and do all of this thing just to step back and watch it fold because they won't do the work to keep it going. And I'm telling you, I just want to choke people in the name of the Lord Jesus. This stuff doesn't happen by itself. These lights didn't come on by themselves. This building didn't get here by itself. It didn't just all of a sudden poof and all of this is here. It's taken a lot of blood, sweat, tears, prayer, crying, working, serving, laboring, sacrificing, uh, fasting. Are y'all with me? So, so a pastor has to have some drive. He has to have some initiative. I tell the pastors on our staff and, and, and the, the directors and the helpers that we have on staff, everyone I ever meet with, that there's two things that's required. You got to have loyalty and you have to have initiative. If I have to put my foot in your rear to get you to do something, I don't need you. I don't need, listen, a staff is something I lean on. If it's leaning on me, I don't need it. Now I know some of you think, oh, that's a little harsh. No, it's not. It's not harsh. Listen, some of our younger generation needs to hear this kind of stuff when they go to work. Listen, you're not the boss. Your boss is. Listen, show some initiative. Get up. Do something before it's asked to be done. Don't wait and have... Anyway, y'all get it. The pastor has to have some drive. Say that with me. He has to have some drive. drive. A desire to see it happen. A desire to see it work. A desire to see God do something great. Hell or high water. No matter what the critics say. No matter who tries to stop you. He has to have some drive. He has to have some initiative. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Then we see B, we see the pastor's character, not only his drive in verse one, but look in verse two and three, we see his character. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not Greek striker, just violence, not greedy, a filthy lucre, that's, that's money hungry, uh, patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Now all this has to do with his character. 
The first one that's listed is the husband of one wife. Now, this is not in reference to his marital status. Okay? Most people get that confused. He's not talking about his marital status because if that was the case, single men wouldn't be able to be an elder or pastor. Or widowers wouldn't be able to be an a, a, a elder or a pastor. He's talking about his moral character. He is saying in that he has to be a one-woman man. Do you realize there are a lot of men who are, are, have been married a long time, but yet they roam like a yard dog? They're married just with one woman, and they've been with one woman in the marital state, but they're adulterous as can be. That's what he's talking about. It goes back to what Jesus is saying. He's saying you don't have to, you don't have to go into the bed with a woman to commit adultery. When you begin to think about her and fantasize about her and focus on her, you've committed adultery already in your And what he's saying, if you're going to be an elder, if you're going to be a bishop, if you're going to be a man of God to lead people, to lead and feed his sheep, you've got to have some moral fortitude. You've got to have some moral character. You've got to have a heart. You've got to be a one-woman man. You've got to have integrity. Say that with me. Say it again. Integrity. You'll never have influence until you have integrity. You have to have some character. Character is what you are. And, 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 and let, me, let me say this. Let me say this. I don't like, I don't, this is one of the times I want an assistant to teach. Because when you, when, you, when you deal with things that you know that you struggle with or you know that, that, that you're not perfect in, uh, you got to understand, Paul is not telling Timothy, you have to be perfect. But he's saying you got to be blameless. You got to be blameless. That means above reproach. Not, not, uh, in other words, if it was in, in, a, in a secular sense, you can't be arrested for anything. You can't have things against you. You have to be above reproach. Your pastor's character, verses two and three. Then we see the pastor's duty, verse C, or letter C. Look what it says. Now, and and remember what I said, every one of them have to do with character except this one right here. Every one of them. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober of good behavior, given to hospitality, and what? Apt to teach. He's got to be able to teach. He's got to be able to break down the word and teach the word, okay? So that's that's the only one that's really a requirement, a skill, uh, 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 an ability, if you will. All right, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy or filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Can everybody see that has to do primarily with his character? And all God's people say it? All right, we see his duty. He has a responsibility to feed the flock. Paul, or excuse me, Jesus told, told Peter, do you love me? What did he say? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Uh, Peter got it. He understood. He understood what was priority, what was important, what his requirement was. Okay? Then we see D, the pastor's personal life. The pastor's personal life. Verse 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now, this is his personal life. And, and you, cannot, you cannot disconnect the personal life. And this is, this is once again, I, it always makes me nervous to teach on that because just as soon as I do, one of my kids is going to get crazy on me. <laughs> but the pastor has to, the elder, the leader, he's an example. Not just, not just in his own moral character, but in his family. And how many of y'all know, let's just go ahead and admit this right now. There is not a such thing as a perfect family. There's not a such thing as a perfect family. There's not a such thing as a perfect kid. This is one of them them areas that that, that I have to deal with bitterness and get counseling and psychiatric care for. (laughs) 
because I grew up as a preacher's kid and most, most people took this to an extreme and said, well, that means the preacher's kid's got to be here when all the other kids... No, 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 he's still a kid. And if the preacher's kid throws a football through the window at camp meeting time, it was an accident. Say amen. I'm saying that for a friend. How many, how many times do we keep certain people to standards that we don't apply to our own self? And, 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 and if some of y'all are like really building this up, really, oh yeah, that's right. You need to be that. You need to be that. You need to be that. Wait till I get to you. Because it's coming. Okay? But there is, he's, he's, he's an example in his family. If, 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 if there is a if there is a situation, if there is a situation where there is total chaos in the pastor's family, he may need to step back. He may need to step back and get that, get help to get that fixed and then step back in ministry where he feels like he's called. Now, there's a lot of people that disagree with that. But I can tell you by experience, I have, I have had... I have had ministers that was struggling in a, in, in a marital situation, and I advise them, I said, please, please, step back, get some healing, get some help, because you're hurting, and, and you cannot get and help people while you're hurting, because hurting people hurt people. And I, I said, the best thing you can do is step back. I'm not saying to quit totally. I'm saying step back. Get things fixed. Get things worked out. Get the chaos out of your life. Get some order in your home so that you can step forward. And, and, and I promise you this, almost without fail, those that stood back and got help, they're in ministry now. Those that didn't are no longer in the ministry and are no longer married to the same woman. This is important. This is important. His personal life is important. You cannot separate. There's no church life and home life. There's no church life and home life. Y'all got the benefit and the blessing to see the same. Because there's no fake anything. All right? Uh, does everybody go home? Absolutely. Do we have, me and Tammy have issues? Absolutely. Just like everybody else does. And if you think there are couples that don't have issues, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in general, overall, there is a semblance of order and, and, and not chaos. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. All right, now, the, the, the personal life is important, okay? You cannot separate it. And by the way, you don't have a church life and a home life either. Because if your home life is different than your church life, you, you don't have a right life. Are y'all with me? And the reason, the reason a lot of times, anyway, let's go, I ain't, ain't going to finish if I don't. All right. No, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. A lot of times when young people grow up in church and leave to not come back, it's because they didn't see the same thing at home as they saw at the church. You can blame it on the youth pastor. You can blame it on the Sunday school class. You can blame it on the pastor. But you got to understand, they only get them for about an hour a week you have them seven days. And many times, many times, children go because what they see at home is not what they see. You may have introduced them to church, but you never introduced them to Christ. So this is important. This is important. Personal life is important. We see the pastor's drive in verse 1, the pastor's character in verse 2 and 3, the pastor's duty in verse 2, the pastor's personal life in Verse 4 and 5, the pastor's experience. The pastor's experience in verse 6. Not a novice. Not a novice. Let's be lifted up with what? Pride. He fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now what does that mean? He ends up just like the devil did. He gets lifted up. It's very easy. I, I, I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen young, gifted people. One of the most dangerous things that could ever happen to a young minister is success. 
and no struggle. Because what happens when they become just a little successful or they see a little touch of God in their life, then we try to encourage them, blow their head up. Oh my goodness, what a sermon, good gracious of my, and we just, because we want to encourage the person. It was good, it helped us, it was a blessing to us. But nothing can ruin a man of God faster than success. It can hurt you faster than failure can. And he's saying, be careful putting somebody who is a baby Christian, who is a new Christian, in a place of great responsibility. Not only, not only will he get lifted up in pride, many times the people will eat him alive. Pride, pride is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Pride goeth before a fall. And he's, and he's telling Timothy, don't put somebody in that position. Lay hands on no man suddenly. Be careful. Be careful that they know what they need to know. Be careful that they have some experience. Be careful that they, uh, 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 they have some maturity to them. And by the way, by the way, I hope everybody understands this. Age has nothing to do with maturity. Age has nothing to do with maturity. It helps in some cases, but, it, but that's not. Hey, how, many, how many of y'all have known some real immature 30-year-olds? And I could just go right on up with age, but I'm going to leave that right there. All right. But do you get the point? All right. So we see the pastor's experience. Then F, we see the pastor's influence. Influence. This is huge. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. If, if he is lying and cheating and stealing all out in the public, He's not going to have an influence that's going to be conducive to the glory of God in the community. Uh, one, of the, one, of the toughest, one of the toughest things I had to deal with when I, when I was trying to reach the community uh, uh, where, and y'all have heard me tell the stories of the Coon Club so much, it's, it's, you know, but you get the point. There were so many preachers who they had had experience with that were liars, that was, I mean, and man lied to you, he's going to steal from you. Say amen. And they, they it was just, the, just the word preacher, everybody would just bristle up. I mean, I wanted to tell them I was a motivational speaker. I mean, I really did. <laughs> because there was such, all right, I'm going to pick on you, Phil, y'all. You was there. You was, you was part of the crew. How close did they watch me the whole time? And they would always try to associate and, and, and just wait. They were waiting for that to happen. Waiting for, waiting for me to cheat in one of them hunts. Waiting for, and I, I would, I would, it would bother me so bad and make me so mad. I wanted to so separate myself from that type of person that sometimes I would, I would withdraw from a hunt just to make it sure that they didn't even think I was even remotely thinking of trying to. And my partners would get angry at me and said, you wasn't, you wasn't wrong. I said, nope, but I want to keep my testimony. It was that important to me. Because if you don't, listen, all you have is your word, people. And if you have, if you have no respect in the community, you're not going to have any influence in the community. And if they don't trust you, why should they listen to the gospel from you? Does that make sense? He said, you got to, you got to have a character. You got to have integrity because you got to have influence, influence. Moreover, he must have a good report. Verse seven, a good report, which are with from those which are without, lest he fall into the reproach in the snare of the devil. All right. So what's that word? Verse eight, first word. Likewise, so now we're changing, we're changing groups here. We're changing groups. Hosoto, I can't even say that word. H-O-S-A-U-T-O-S is the Greek word, which means uh, just like. In other words, you're going to see that the servant's role is, is in qualifications and requirements are almost identical, parallel to the leaders and those who are responsible for doing the teaching. Now, let's, let's do this. Verse eight, likewise, 
Must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Let's skip verse 11. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and a great boldness in faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, I need you to, for, for just a moment, how many of you been in church more than 10 years? All right. How, how many of y'all been in church more than 20 years? All right. More than 30 years. All right, how many of you basically grew up, your church experience is the traditional church model? Okay, now, put your hands down. I need you for about 15 minutes to forget everything you know. <laughs> Somebody said, that's not hard. <laughs> let's, let's, for just a few moments... Not go by tradition, not by what we've seen, but let's just take the Bible and examine this particular group of people. How many of y'all can do that? Say amen. In other words, no preconceived ideas, no, no anything. We're just going to take the Bible, pick the Bible up and say, all right, who are these people right here? Okay? And, and, and let's see. Let's see how far away from the New Testament the modern traditional church has gotten from what it's supposed to be. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Now, let's look at the word deacon. Let's look at the word deacon. The English word deacon is a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos, which simply means servant. Come on, everybody. Man, y'all are nervous. It's all right. We're just going to study the Bible, okay? Which simply means servant, servant. Say that again, servant, servant. Okay. In a local church, deacons relieve the pastor elders of other tasks so that they may concentrate on the ministry of the word, prayer, and spiritual oversight. Even though deacons are not given the authority of the elders, they still must meet certain qualifications. That's why the word says likewise. Say it with me. Likewise. All right. Now, uh, uh, as with elders, those qualifications relate to their spiritual what? Character, not function. And if you'll remember, when we were dealing with the pastors, the bishops, the elders, it was talking about their spiritual character, not necessarily their function, except for the one, and that's apt to teach. If y'all remember that, say amen. All right, now, watch this. Watch this. This is amazing. This is amazing. In fact, in fact, No specifics are given in scripture as to the duties of deacons. They were to carry out whatever tasks were assigned to them by the elders or needed by the specific congregation. Now, let's look. I want you to write this down to A and let's talk about it and we'll come down uh, to verse 11. I want you to write men servants, men servants. What is a deacon? A deacon is a servant. Say it with me. A deacon is a a servant. Now, now, everybody, everybody that is saved should be serving Jesus. Would you say amen to that? So in the, in the most general sense of the term, everybody's a deacon. All right. Everybody has a responsibility to serve. Everybody's been gifted according to Ephesians chapter number four. Uh, You've been gifted to serve. Does everybody serve? No, no. But if you serve in an official capacity. If you serve in an official capacity, this is what is required of you. All right. Now, some people, some people take from the book of Acts. How many of y'all remember? How many of y'all? And I, I've even mentioned this because I've seen it taught this way. Uh, and, and I'm not saying it's not, but you'll, you'll know what I mean in just a minute. How many of y'all remember when the, when the widows were being neglected in the, in, in the food delivery? How many of y'all remember that? We did the book of Acts. Are y'all serious? Y'all wasn't here during the book of Acts? All right, let me lay it out for you. The apostles, 
uh, people were bringing, after they were getting saved, they were bringing money, they were bringing, they were selling their land, they were selling houses, bringing money uh, to minister to people. Uh, they had a program. The apostles in, in Jerusalem, the church had already uh, got to be between probably eight, 9,000, 10,000 people. Uh, the gospel was spreading like crazy, wildfire, and, uh, and, and uh, they began to feed widows. Okay, well, there became a problem because they begin to complain. The Greek widows, the Greek widows, they begin to do without. They were being skipped. All right. They were being skipped or overlooked. That's the way they felt anyway. So they begin to bring that up and complain about that. So the apostles said, look, look, we don't have time to stop what we're doing with the prayer and the ministry of the word. This is so important. This is so critical. They're not saying it is beneath us. They're saying this is a priority. Choose you out seven men, seven men. They chose seven men. All of them, all of them were Greek. Every single one of them, all of them were Greek Christians. Okay. And he said, y'all take care of this. All right. Automatically people have assumed that that was the first deacons. But if you want to be real dogmatic and be real specific with scripture, not one single verse in the Bible says they were deacons. Not one. If you look through the book of Acts, you don't find reference to deacons in the book of Acts. So we can't dogmatically say that these were the first deacons. So that's what deacons do. They serve tables. Now, but we can say because of the title and the name, a deacon is a servant. If you with me, say amen. They're a servant. What is a deacon? A servant. One who serves. What, what do they do? It, not one single scripture specifies the specific responsibility they have. What, what do they do for them, preacher? Whatever the church needs for them to do. Whatever the elders need for them to do so they will be able to stick with the ministry of the word and prayer. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Let me illustrate. Let me illustrate. <clears throat> I get here, I get here real early on Sunday morning, and, uh, and, and, and usually the only ones here uh, is usually Brother Jason, sometimes, sometimes I'll beat him, sometimes he'll beat me, and uh, Brother Jesse Mickle, okay? Brother Jesse Mickle out there, uh, uh, and Allison, y'all, y'all sometimes beat me, y'all sometimes beat me, but, 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 but what's happening? Jesse's out there and he's got this blower going and he's blowing dust and particles and everything else. He's putting out cones, doing all this kind of stuff. What is he doing? He's serving. He's serving. Now, why is he doing that? Because I come in and you you can ask the Allison's there right here. I come in and I'll say, Hey to everybody. And what's the first thing I do? I go straight to my office And I get in my office and I get the word that I've been in most of that week. And I try to get it in my head and get my mind wrapped around and ready to deliver the word. Now, if I was out there setting out cones, if I was out there blowing off the parking lot, I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't be able to do that. But because they're doing that, the Allison's are there preparing uh, 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 what we call that again. Common grounds, common grounds. They're in their uh, coffee corner. What, you know, it, 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 they're in there serving. Now, if, if the servants weren't there, then the elders would have to do it. And by the way, there were many years I did do it. I was doing all those things. But the, the, the ability to deliver the word was weakened. I, I wasn't able to do it as effectively as I can now. Why? Because I'm able to focus on the word because there's other servants that are serving what? Whatever the church needs for them to do. Somebody, somebody, somebody has said before, well, I don't know why they don't have more deacons than they have. I'm I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Dear God, there's deacons everywhere. What is a deacon? What does a servant do? In the simplest form. You know what problem we have? Tradition has clouded our minds to think that deacons are people that go up into the upper room and vote on what you need to be doing. I said it. That's not biblical. Find me one single verse that describes that. 
Watch this. I'm going to blow your mind again. I'm going to blow your mind again. Let's look at verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. All right. What's the, what's the, what's the first two words? It's the same word likewise. Verse 8. Same identical word. I, I, I'll try to say it, but I'm going to just spell it. H-O-S-A-U-T-O-S uh, uh, the, is the Greek word. It's the same identical word used. So it means likewise. In other words, the responsibilities of elders, likewise. The men servants. Say that with me. The men servants. All right. We're going to use, we're going to use what deacons are. We're just going to use their responsibility. All right. So you can get in your head what it's really about. All right. Cause I, every time I use the word deacon, you automatically think of, of Deacon Jones or something. You know, you, you think of Deacon Henry who, because of our tradition, let's use the word servant. The people he's talking about are men servants in the church. Doing whatever's necessary so the elders and the bishops can do what they need to do with the teaching and the delivering and the caring with the word of God. If that makes sense, amen. amen. Now, even so, even so, must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. Now, the two words must there, that's in italics, so, so it wasn't in the original Greek. And the word, the word wives is the word women. So, so if you was to read that, it would say, likewise, women. All right? So we're, we're having not only the group of men servants, but now we have a group of women servants. Okay? Now, we, we don't use the word deaconess. The word deaconess is not here because there wasn't a word deaconess in the Greek language at that time. They, the word diakonos was used for men and women. Are y'all with me? Say amen. But we're going to just use women servant, okay? Just so, to, so help us right here because you're, you're already about to choke now right here. Okay? So in, in the New Testament church, there were men servants and there were women servants. Likewise. Likewise. Now let me tell you about one. Look in, look in your notes at the bottom of your page. Romans 16.1. <clears throat> Romans 16.1. Paul is writing to the, the church at Rome. He says, I commend unto you, Phoebe, our uh, a sister is a what? A woman. Are y'all with me? Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church. You know what that word, that translation, that word servant? Diakonos. Same identical word. Same identical word. She was a servant of the church. So to put it in a word to, to distinguish it. You have, she was a deaconess. She was a woman servant. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. Now watch this. All right. That ye receive her in the Lord as become a saints and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a sucker of many and of myself also. Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Now think about this. Think about this. This is incredible. The book of Romans is the bedrock foundational book for salvation. When we go to lead somebody to the Lord, we take them down the what? Romans Road. It's the greatest book of doctrine when it comes to explaining, detailing salvation there is. And Paul entrusted that to Phoebe. He had so much confidence in her and so much trust in her. He entrusted this letter. She is the one who delivered it to Rome. Are y'all with me? Say amen. She was a servant, a woman servant in the church. Now, the reason that's hard for us to digest is because we've created in our own mind, what a deacon is. That he's a person in charge. He's a person in authority, which is wrong. That's why it's hard for you to understand or hard for you to comprehend that there could be a woman servant. Because we know the Bible clearly says that the leadership position, the one in authority is the men. All right? So we're, we're like, Ugh. but that's because we, not the Bible, but we've created a wrong image of what a deacon truly is. There is no question in my mind 
There's no question in my mind. When Brother Jesse's up here serving, he's doing all his, he's doing the work of a deacon. Miss Allison, when you're in there and you're serving those people and you're doing that job in there, you're doing the work of a woman servant. You are serving. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that we have servants all over the place. Well, then you mean to tell me these qualifications? That's right. That's right. All you that are serving, all you that have a responsibility here at Temple, all you that are serving, men or women, you have responsibilities and you have qualifications. Now, it's obvious, it's obvious, it's, don't take a rocket scientist to know that everybody that attends, everybody don't serve, do they? No. So that's why you see these are being set apart. Everybody in the New Testament church didn't serve either. There were some people that just showed up. But there were others that volunteered. They were willing to serve. They were willing to give their time. They were willing to sacrifice. All right? There is a place for everyone. Say amen. amen. Now, look at this. Look at your notes. <clears throat> look at your notes. Under, under women servants. Under women servants. Look what it says. During the first few centuries of the church... During the first few centuries of the church, the role of a woman's servant, diakonos, just what Phoebe was, was to care for fellow believers who were sick, for the poor, for strangers passing through, for the imprisoned. They were also responsible for helping baptize and disciple new women converts and to instruct children and other women. Other women. Miss, Miss Cindy, that's kind of describes... What you're doing in your home every week with microchurch. Same thing. You're discipling other women. You're teaching other women. You're encouraging the young women. When you take them soul winning in the park, those are young ladies who are learning how to be a disciple of Christ by a woman servant. You're, you're, you can say that's, 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 that's Phoebe Reese over there. <laughs> ladies, you have a place in the church. You have an awesome opportunity to be used by God in an incredible, incredible way. Some of y'all got mad and fumed out and didn't come back after last week and you missed out. <laughs> Preacher, are you saying that they can do everything? No, but guess what? All men can't do everything all other men can do either. Because you can disqualify yourself. If you got a bad attitude and an anger problem, you don't need to be doing nothing. You're a brawler. You disqualify your, you see what I'm saying? If you have a character problem, if you're morally, hello, likewise. See, we all want to, we all want to say the elders, yes, they had, likewise, the men servants, likewise, the lady servants. Are y'all with me? Now Watch. Look at the qualifications. They're almost identical to the elder. We, we already covered them. So let's look specifically. Four things, four things we see. First is personal character. Personal character. Number one. Under men's service, number one. But they all go together. How many of y'all would agree that the elder, the pastor, has to have personal character? How many, how many agree if you're a man and you serve in the church, you should have personal character? How many of y'all agree that if you're a lady and you serve in the church, you should have personal character? Right? Okay. Now, then we talk about their spiritual life. Their spiritual life. He says, likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued. Not double-tongued. Talking with two of them. You tell one man one thing and another man another. Not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure what? Conscience. A pure conscience. Uh, it's hard serving when you've got a guilty conscience. You've got to have a pure conscience. All right? Verse 10. And let these also first be, what's that word? Help me. Let them first be proved. All right, that's Christian service. That's Christian service. Being found 
blameless. It's the same word that's used for elder. Blameless. Above reproach. We're dealing with moral purity. Moral purity. If you got them, say amen. So we have the expectations for its leaders, the expectations for its servants, men servants and women servants. If you serve in the church. And let me, let me kind of, let me kind of explain to you why I believe that it's, it's talking about women in general and not necessarily just uh, the deacon's wives themselves. The deacon's wives could be women servants too, but I believe it's talking about women servants like Phoebe in general. Whether the women in view here are deacon's wives or a separate order of female deacons has been much disputed. The following points show that women in general, not necessarily deacon's wives, are in view here. First, the use of likewise. We talked about that earlier. It's talking about a totally different group. Argue strongly for seeing a third and distinct group here in addition to elders and deacons. Second, there is no possessive pronoun or definite article connecting these women with the word deacons in the other verse. Third, Paul gave no qualification for elders' wives. Why would he do so for deacons' wives? If he, was, if he was specifically talking about the wives of the deacon, why didn't he give qualifications for the elders' wives? Did he think the, the deacons' wives were just that bad of people he had to deal with that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that was the point. All right? Uh, Paul did not use the word deaconesses because there was no such word in the Greek language. The masculine form of diakonos was used of both men and women. A different term, koinesia, was used for deaconess in post-biblical Greek after. We, and we find that in word studies in the New Testament. Uh, using the term women was the only way Paul could distinguish them from the male deacons. And finally, finally, their qualifications also parallel those of the male deacons. So what that means, basically, in, in, the, in the simplest terms... If you serve in church, whether you serve on the platform or you serve as a man or you serve as a woman, there are great qualifications and moral character that's expected by the Lord to fulfill the responsibilities in his church. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. So there's great expectations for his leaders. There's great expectations for the church's servants. Then we see... Number three, the expectations for its existence, for its existence. I love this. Verse 14, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, where in the, everybody say it loud. Then he says, which is the church of the living God, the Okay, so we have three things, three things here. He's, he's talking about our existence. Why do we exist? We exist as a, a family. Write that word down. A family. The word house here, behave thyself in the house of God. The word house there means household. It means group. If I was to talk about my house, you remember when, when, when Joshua said, uh, choose you this day whom you'll serve, but as for me and my, he was talking about him and his people, Right? That's what this is talking about. He is saying the household of faith, how you are to operate or how you are to behave yourself as a family. Do you realize that the church is a family? Watch this right here. Watch this right here. First Timothy five. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. First Timothy five. He says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. In other words, Whoever you are, Timothy, the older men, you treat them as your, and the younger men as your, and the elder women as your, and the younger as sisters with all purity. Now, why does he tell them to do that? He doesn't want Timothy to cheat and, and commit adultery and, and, and become impure. It's hard to kiss your sister. Say amen. He says, I want you to look at each other as family. The older ones are like your fathers. The, the younger men are like your brothers. The older ladies as your mothers and the younger women as your 
sisters. You're a family. That's how I want you to operate. That's how I want you to behave. That's how I want you to act. You are a family. You're a family. It is amazing to me. Miss Cindy, I grew up in church my whole life, and, and it, it was, I was a grown adult before I realized why we say brother or sister. Like Brother Ben or Brother Joe or Sister Susie or Sister Mary. I mean, I remember, I remember specifically one time my mom corrected me out. We was out in a store or something and, and, and I seen a guy, I believe it was a guy's badge on his shirt. And, and, and let's just say it was Joe. I can't remember what name it was, but let's just say it was Joe. And, and, and I said, Hey brother Joe. Well, he was an unbeliever. He wasn't in church, but I, everybody called everybody that I was ever around. Cause I was only around church people. They always said brother before the dude's name and sister before the sister's name. Are y'all with me? So I just said it. And my mom had to say, hey, hey, he, he's not your brother. We use that in church because they're our spiritual family. He is our spirit. We are brothers in Christ. I was like, wow. But that's why we say it. That's why I say, you know, brother whoever or sister whoever. And, and we ought to get in the habit of doing that. We ought to get in the habit. Well, I don't think we can just say Joe or Henry or whatever. But then you don't treat them like family. Well, maybe you do. Some of y'all kind of quick on the draw. We need to treat each other like God's family. Amen? So, the household of faith. So, our, our expectation for existence, we're to exist as a Come on, everybody. We exist as a family. Then, then B. Hurry, hurry, hurry. We're out of time. We got, we got to prove Dustin wrong. Help us. Watch what he says. He says, not only the house of God, which is the church of the living God. What's the word church? Ecclesia, which means assembly. So put the word function there. We exist to assemble. We exist to assemble. We're not being the church unless we're assembling. That's why I said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now, why do we assemble? Why do we assemble? Look what it says. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting means maturing, completing, developing. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now let me, let me break that down for you. What that means is that group of leaders there that's listed in verse number 11, they're to help mature you. In other words, I'm here to develop you. I'm here to mature you. I'm here to edify you. The word edify means built up. For the perfecting, the word means mature. Why do you send your kids to school? To mature them, develop them, build them up, teach them, train them. Are y'all with me? All right? I'm, I, I am responsible for building you up, training you, teaching you, helping you have opportunities to use the gifts that God has given you. For the, watch this now. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Watch this. When I'm perfecting you and maturing you, training you, teaching you, developing you, then you do the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? Service. Service. Y'all are around here like busy bees. Busy, busy, busy. Serving everywhere. You're inviting. You're going. You're doing the work of the ministry. Guess what? That means if I'm doing my part, if I'm doing the teaching and the training and the maturing and the developing and you're doing your part, the part you are gifted to and called to and responsible for. If I'm doing my part and you're doing your part, the perfecting of the, the, perfecting of the saints is my responsibility. The work of the ministry is the saints' responsibility. And if that happens, the edifying of the body of Christ happens. In other words, the building, the strengthening and the, and, and the maturing of the saints happen. What does that mean? We're all in this together. That's why we assemble. That's why we can't forsake assembling. I got some, I got some perfecting to do. Hello. And you got some work in the ministry to do. 
Because we all need to be edified. So we're not henceforth tossed with every wind of doctrine. How many baby Christians you know is out there just believe anything they see on TV or the internet? Hello. I'll tell you what they're not doing. They're not assembling like they need to. Because if they were assembling like they need to, they'd be growing like they need to be growing. They'd be learning. They'd be maturing. They'd be developing. So when that false doctrine appears, their spiritual antenna goes up and says, wait a minute. I know better than that. We got to assemble, guys. We are the church, the called out assembly. Say that with me. The called out assembly. What good is it to be called out if you don't assemble? Anyway, all right, We're, we got to hurry, got to hurry. Then we see the foundation. We're the pillar and ground of truth. The expectations for our existence as a church. We are to exist as a family. We have a function that is assembling and developing and building, edifying each other. The church is the foundation of truth. It's the foundation of truth. Do all things, Philippians 2, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding, oh, holding forth what? You know what God said? Thy word is truth. So we're holding forth truth. We're the pillar and ground. Now, we're not going to get four. So just hold on to that. Just hold on to that. This one verse, this part of this verse, everybody look at me. I'm already over time, so y'all just stay with me because y'all know you'll shut your mind when you put your pen down. All right, look at me. This part, the pillar and ground of truth, would have stood out like a sore thumb in the minds of the people in Ephesus because they had the temple of Artemis on top of the hill. The temple of Artemis had over 200 pillars and they were dedicated by different kings. And so I don't know if y'all remember when I put the picture of it up there, it's almost surrounded by pillars all the way around that, that temple. But the main purpose of the pillars was to hold up the roof and hold up the deities and all of that. So when they, they heard that, in their minds, they're saying, well, the devil may have his pillars, but the church is the pillar that holds up the truth. Y'all didn't get it. Let me try it again. The church is the pillars and the foundation that holds up the truth. Why is this important? Somebody was on a, somebody was on a, a, a missions trip with Brother David Nelms. They were in Nepal. And they were standing in front of pagan temples, pagan temples, that they would come and worship pagan deities that were there before the time of Christ. They were there that long. And the gentleman asked Brother, Brother Nelms, and I'm done right here. Look at me, everybody. The gentleman asked Brother Nelms. He said, why, if they believed this so long if they've had this even before the time of Christ why would they believe when we tell them about Christ and you know what brother Nelm said because it's the truth now we should have all jumped up and run around the building right there do you know how many millions of false gods and false deities and cults are out there that people are falling all over themselves to follow? Yet we sit in here and we have the truth. And we won't even tell nobody. God help us all. Preacher, what do you want me to take from tonight's study? I want you to take that we have some great expectations. God expects a lot out of us. He expects a lot out of our moral character, our testimony, our responsibility. 
If we're going to serve him, and, and, and I would say the majority of people in here on Wednesday night, if you're here on a Wednesday night, you're in some kind of team. You're either a man servant or a woman servant. You're serving God somewhere. Keep up the good work. I almost forgot. Because when you do, the Bible says this. The Bible says this, verse 13. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, let's use the word servant there. For they that have used the office of a servant well, purchase to themselves a good degree and a great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Keep on serving. Keep on volunteering. Keep on sacrificing. Because I promise you this, one day it's going to be worth it. And all God's people say it. Let's give him praise and glory. Come on. Let's stand. Let's stand. Is Dustin in the building? He said, you're going to go over five minutes. See, he was wrong. It's 630. We've gone over six minutes. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your.